Turn right. Re-re-re-recalculating. Man, this goofy bitch don't know where she's going. From the Lost Boys. Lost Boys. The Lost Boys. Legendary Lost Boys. This is Lost Boys. We call them the Lost Boys. The Lost Boys. We're not, uh, not, I know we're not lost. Oh, you knew that yesterday, too. We're lost, but we're making good time. This is the way, guys. I can feel it. And now, the Lost Boys Podcast proudly presents... That's right, Woodchuck Welcome, everybody. This is Hip Hop History 101, where we dive into the culture of hip hop from where it's been to where it's going and how it got there. Tonight, we are talking about the 90s. We finally got up to the 90s. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Ghost T, and joining me, as always, Night Prophet. What's up, dude? I'm stoked. 90s. 90s this is this is my this is my bread and butter right here yeah what i know the most this resonates the most i believe we were alive and and aware and conscious the most i think during this period if we weren't uh uh high on drugs but i remember some of it i remember the 90s a little bit it's hard to believe how long ago it actually was right to be honest (laughs) feeling ancient dude I, i know it's crazy but as far as hip-hop, a lot happened in the 90s. It was a freaking wild time. Uh, I think we'll do this just like we did the last couple here. Let's just go year by year if you're down with that. Yeah, I'm down with that. All right. And what better place to start the 90s than 1990? So I got a couple things here. I don't know where you're starting. You got a lot of West Coast stuff this week, too? Oh, yeah. That's okay. all. That- yeah, West Coast. All right, all about I got it, dude. a little mix of everything here because you know it started okay. getting a little more. Uh, uh, it was all coming together. So. Yes. Um, one of the first things I put down as an East Coast guy for 1990, though, formation of the Native Tongues, which is one of my favorite collectives of hip hop, hip of East Coast hip hoppers. Uh, Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, Jungle Brothers. There were a couple like side groups that you could consider native tongues. Even like uh, Queen Latifah, I think, was sort of part of that. And like KMD was kind of on the outskirts of being a native tongue. But the native tongues formed, and it was uh, it was kind of a different, you know, vibe. There was a lot of jazzy type of samples, and started thinking about more positive messaging and. Uh, I would say, would you consider, I was thinking about this, because the 90s is definitely, there, there's some backpack rap, what they call it in there. Although, I don't know if it's more this style or more of the gritty underground kind of New Yorky type of thing, but I just wrote backpack rap question mark, because that term was coined here in the 90s, and I remember being called a backpack rapper a lot. Yeah, dude, I, I thought backpack rap was... Um, what is it? More like uh, involved lyricism, I guess, and uh, more positive topics. Yeah, positive. Yeah, stuff. okay. Yeah, that's sort of exactly what I was thinking. Because when I was writing yeah. this stuff about native tongues, I'm like, yeah, that's sort of backpack rap. That's sort of the start of that stuff. So I don't know. But uh, I got a couple more. But what you got? What, what's one thing you got for 1990? Okay. So for 90, over here on the West Coast, I got the rise of Latino rap. Oh, so, 
Um, starting up, okay. Yeah, so in 1990, there was a guy named Kid Frost. And um, I'm sure you're very aware of Kid Frost. Yes, uh, I've heard a lot of of his singles that um, was appeared in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. And he actually voice acted a character in San Andreas, too. Uh, oh, was he with this? Ah, was he with? Okay, okay. I didn't. I, to be honest, I didn't realize that was that was him. But yeah, uh, so. yes, I'm familiar. And a friend of mine growing up let me uh, played a lot of Kid Cross for me. Right. Yeah. Um. His so his first big hit was La Raza, and that came out in 1990, and that was you know the song featured on Grand Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, and I'm sure the song that everybody yeah. knows Kid Frost by is uh, La Raza. So that was a huge start. Um for the latin scene on the west coast it's about time i say yeah i haven't given enough representation it's kind of depressing and sad because everyone needs a place in hip-hop what did you have any other i I remember another big hit from him what was something um i think he released like three albums up until like 96 or something okay and then I think he changed his name to just Frost. Yes, it's showing just Frost on here. Arturo yeah. Molina, if we want to yep. throw out there his uh, his real name. Uh, that might be the jam. Yeah, that might be the jam. San Andreas, John, everyone knows you're right. Yeah, I guess it said... Um, La Raza. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed like that was his biggest... Uh, one of his biggest singles. There was another good. Uh, there was a he did a, a Mary Jane that version that featured Rick James. So it was like a. Yeah. But yeah, that was dope. Larraz is a fucking. Hit. Uh, I love that track. Okay. 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 Um. 1990. Also, I had listed here. We we talked a little bit about Tupac last week, but it said in here 1990 was when he actually technically joined Digital Underground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so I think I, what we were we were talking about that group uh, Strictly Dope was like 88, yep. 89. Yeah. Right? Um. So, and that was that. And short jumped, stint for that group. Right yeah, and, and I'm thinking it was kind of a shorter stint with uh, Digital Underground because it wasn't that long. Just after. one year, I think. Yeah, that he uh, really started doing his own thing. Um, it's too much. Oh, let me let me highlight another one. This is a big one. East Coast Columbia University radio station, eighty nine point nine. There was a little show that started up really early in the morning or late at night, whatever you want to say, called Stretch and Bobito. Ooh, with this guy Adrian Bardos. Stretch Armstrong and his buddy Robert Garcia Bobito. They just loved hip hop, and uh, they were both going to Columbia University, working in the, the radio station there, and uh, came up with this idea for this show. We got the souls of mistress in the head. Oakland's here to represent. Got Kenny Parker in the head house. Got Domino D in the house. Backed by popular demand. Art of origin. (laughs) We're finally making up to the studio after. Where they would feature a lot of uh, (laughs) hip hop that people haven't heard. A lot of B-sides, rare tracks. Um, One of the biggest things that they eventually did was just straight up have a lot of artists come in. A lot of new and upcoming artists. 
and just do live freestyles. And I don't even know if it was that prevalent on uh, any other like hip hop radio, like major FM hip hop radio stations at the time. But um, that kind of became a thing and I think took off and caught on with a lot of other radio stations afterwards and MTV and stuff like that, where artists would just come in and do fucking freestyles live on air. And um, you could go and look up some of these and there are some amazing freestyles. From artists who, uh, you know, are a lot more famous now. But um, some of the artists that they actually are credited as introducing to the world were Biggie, Jay-Z, for what that's worth, Eminem, (laughs) Big L, Big Pun, Wu-Tang, which... uh, I don't know. I think they had other... But, uh, and there was the Fugees, too, got their... uh, Got a lot of uh, notoriety from being on Stretch and Bob Beetle early on. 89 Tech 9. You ever listen to Stretch and Bob Beetle? I have, for sure. Oh, nice, nice. Remember, I, um, I think I was telling you that I um, got into Bob Beetle because he was a sneakerhead. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they were, they were uh, very influential in hip-hop and helped... Get a lot of shit mainstream, man. Yeah. But yeah, so 1990, it was actually uh, October 25th. The show was 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. Stretch and Bobito show. Where would hip-hop be without it? I don't know. I just don't know. Right? Dude, uh, Uh, I'm going to piggyback off that a little bit. Go for it. So, also in 1990, um, there... Was a teenager growing up, is you might know him as Sway, Sway Calloway. Yes, and yes, yes. so familiar. he was big into the Bay Area hip hop scene. Um, and he released a album, Concrete Jungle, in 1990. So this, uh, it was with um, DJ King Tech. I guess, and um, I so. this, this album got uh, them some notification, and they were able to host their own radio show, um, it was KMEL. So this was the start of his uh, hip hop radio career as well. Way and he, you know, yeah, he's um, you know, known for bringing on people like Raz Kaz. So some of the West Coast dudes Ooh. and. Uh, one of the um, main guys it was it came later in the 80s but i remember he introduced me to um the hieroglyphics out of oakland so um yeah that's the west coast version of the radio yeah no radio that that was 92 did did he drop the album you said or that yeah concrete jungle in 90 get the fuck out of here you know what i don't even know if i heard a radio album i think that was it probably dude Okay, oh no! Well, I guess uh, another album, Back to Basics, um, was released in 2005. Ah, get the fuck out of here! I think they've come out with some mixtapes and shit though. Since a lot of their collections and stuff like that. Yeah, I could be wrong. And then he went on to uh, MTV eventually, and fame with that. And uh, he's probably <laughs> on Shade like 45. I was gonna say, I bet you he's on Shade 45 now. A lot of these yep. people migrated right into Shade 45. Got to give Eminem some credit there for putting together a hell of a. Hell of a crew on the radio station there. I listen to it all the time. 
Good shit. I've been listening. Yo, I, I I got a car recently, and I've got the free uh, serious subscription. Free so serious? yeah, I've been yeah. yeah. So I've been listening to that too. Oh man. Oh, and speaking of, um, oh, who's the big? Uh, I'm gonna forget his name. But the other dude, there's two other dudes who are on Shape 45 now that started out doing shit with Stretch and Bobito. One was Rude Jude. Rude Jude, I love, dude. He was on the Stretch and Bobito show a lot. But who's the big fat dude? Damn, I'm forgetting his fucking name. He's, you think he's on Rude Jude a lot, or he has his own show on Shape 45, but I'm losing my mind. Unprepared, unprepared. Call me out. Call me out in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> It'll come to me. Not like I can look it up or anything. That's out of the question, but I'll think of it. Um, is uh, it another... Nah, nah, it wasn't Who Kid. Lord Seer. Lord Seer. Yeah, yeah, Lord, Lord Seer. Seer. Okay. Lord Seer. Does he, doesn't he have a show, or does he do the show with, like, Rude Jude or someone, Shade 45? I think he's still prevalent, I think, somewhere. He's listed as a uh, Shade 45 DJ. Okay, all right. Yeah, Lord Sears was on a lot, and he was kind of like a, uh, just like an intern. So you know how, like, Howard Stern treats his interns? He, they kind of treated Lord Sear like that back in the day. It was kind of funny <laughs> listening. And then he, uh, you know, uh, got into his own shit eventually. But oh, I wish I saved some of these tapes, because what me and my brother used to do, we used to get, like, this little order form. I don't know where he got them. Record shop somewhere. And then you just like check marked all these mixtapes. It was just this little sheet of paper with all these mixtapes listed. I don't know if you had anything like this back in the day. No. But um, we would checklist like all these, like SNS, there was these mixtapes. Um, uh, who were some of the other DJs? I don't know. There were a lot of like DJs, New York DJs who were doing mixtapes. Stretching Bobito was on there every week. But yeah, it would be like a week or every other week type thing. We would like mark off what we wanted on these mixtapes, and then my brother would go get the tapes. You know, he would submit it to the record shop or wherever, I don't know. But um, then we would come back with a week or two later with, with all these mixtapes. And that's how I discovered a lot of music. It was on, like, this DJ SNS tape back in, like, 89, I think. Or 98, I mean, that um, that uh, I heard Eminem for the first time on this crazy, random um, song but it was it's just wild, man. It was just crazy times. I love getting those mixtapes. For tapes. sure. It was like Christmas when he came through with the new mixtapes. I used to buy a lot of like local CDs and tapes off of the street. Like people used to hustle them on the corners. And I, I used to always buy like anybody's tapes. Right? And you find some good shit. Yeah, you did. Man. Those are the days. Kids these days won't ever know. They won't ever fucking know. All right, um, one more 1990 thing I got here. Two Live Crew. I think we talked a little bit about last episode. Mm -hmm. But it was 1990 that uh, Uncle Luke was arrested over uh, their album As Nasty As They Wanna Be. Which was considered offensive and lewd. Like, they arrested this dude for having an offensive album. It was eventually overturned, this whole thing, but but uh, I just thought that was that was funny that uh, we had these uptight judges who were who were throwing a book at people for releasing music. 
Yeah, Two Live Crew. What they essentially changed the game on terms of like rating um, albums. Rating. Yep. 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 You were saying they had the first uh, the first uh, explicit lyric sticker, right? Yeah. I think they got that sticker slapped on in ninety nineteen ninety. Okay. Yeah. So there it goes. It goes right along with uh, that, and then they got arrested. But yeah, uh, district. It was a district court in Southern Florida that ruled the album was legally obscene. That's what it was. And That's it was wild. later overturned when they went to took it actually to court, but that's just free publicity right there. Because if anything, yeah. like we mentioned with NWA, there at the end of the eighties, um, they were getting they were getting known just for the 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 news stories, you know, the police activity regarding them. I mean, that's what got people hyped. Then it was smart. Yeah, it marketing. made the youth more curious. Very smart marketing. It's the way to do it, man. That's what Grand Theft Auto did too. They they pushed on uh, their haters and when they yeah, got the negative Mortal reviews. Kombat too. Mortal Kombat, yeah. Hey, it's smart. That's what we gotta do, man. I work on that. Um, <laughs> you got anything else for ninety? So I got that was one it, other. Uh, for all, right, I got, all right, I got one other thing. I'm gonna get this out of the way. Well, let me let me start it off with this one. There was this guy called uh, MC Hammer, who okay. some people might know. His album came out. You can, wow, the, the single "You Can't Touch This" went huge. And another guy, right at the same time, these two were seemingly—they almost went together. They probably toured together at some point, I'm guessing. But um, Robert Van Winkle. Is that his name? I always <laughs> what forget a name. his name. What it's, a it's Robert, rapper, right? Van Winkle. Yeah, I'm yeah. almost positive. Yeah, Robert Van Winkle. Robert Matthew Van Winkle. Came out with his uh, album To the Extreme with the hit single Ice Ice Baby, which is what officially in 1990, almost two decades after hip hop was born, became the first single to top the Billboard charts. And everyone knows it sampled freaking. Uh, and what was the whole deal with his sampling under pressure? The Queen and David Bowie song, which is the main riff in uh, Ice Ice Baby. But he, he came out in some interviews saying that, oh, it's, he didn't really steal the sample because he added all these extra notes or some shit like that. I don't know, but it didn't sound like he added any damn note from what I can tell <laughs> off, that, off that sample. And they never credited him or anything, so that became a whole thing. They, they did eventually settle out of court with, uh, with the uh, Queen Estate or whatever. So it did become something, but that, I don't know. That was that was that was funny. So yeah, so Vanilla Ice was the first freaking all uh, right. Single. Number one, number one single. So uh, funny thing Ugh. about that number one single, yeah, and it's kind of hilarious if you think about it. Um, Vanilla Ice didn't really reap any success from this single. So, um, like you were talking about, he was in the court battles with uh, uh, for the sa- sampling, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, in 1991, um, an organization on the West Coast was created, and it's called Death Row Records. Yeah. And yeah, what's the deal? What's the story? Death Row Records. This goes right into 91 um, too, because that's the this last goes thing right I had into 91. 90, so. Yeah. So yeah, what happened with Shug? Well, well, go ahead. Go so Shug Knight um, had approached vanilla ice and um the word on the street it's like uh, there's multiple stories about what happens here but word on the street is that um 
Suge Knight cornered him on a balcony solo, just them two, and uh, said, um, you either sign the rights, the royalties over to us because um, my buddy Mario Johnson wrote um, the lyrics for this. And so he just gave him essentially a mafia offer that he couldn't refuse and told him to sign the royalties over. And so he did. So Vanilla Ice's single, Ice Ice Baby, is a huge part of uh, the funding of Death Row and how they started. And that was really where they got their money from. That's fucking wild, bro. Insane, huh? It's very insane. Is that true, though, that the dude wrote it? Because I thought I remembered reading that he says he wrote this back in, like, 86 or 87. Yeah, so, I mean, so this there's is... all kinds of stories. This is Who knows? the... I'd be this more willing to believe Knight that story, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that his buddy wrote it, and I don't think Vanilla Ice had the heart in it in him to say no. <laughs> his buddy didn't write it, so yeah. So he never really owned the song, dude. That's even so though it went funny. number one. I mean, it, 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 I, I don't even know. That's 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 kind of fucked up. But I'm not gonna say he didn't deserve it because dude was fake as fuck anyway. Um, I remember a whole issue when when uh, he dropped his like biography that there were many accounts in the biography that were just totally false stuff that he like was growing up in the ghetto and all this other stuff about his childhood and grow up in you know life that mm-hmm. were falsified and that became an issue at some point. I should have dug a little deeper into that, but so he was just straight up fake anyway. Um, yep. I don't know. I will tell you though. I was listening through uh, Spotify has these like the best of hip hop in certain years. So I was listening through a lot of these this week, um, 90, 91, And there were a couple Vanilla Ice songs. And I will say, I, I'm not positive again who does all the production, but some of those beats were kind of banging. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie, man. And, I, and, I, and I'm going to take that as a mission. Maybe we can do a, a show on like MC Hammer and... and uh, vanilla ice or something like all the flash of, in the pans yeah yeah oh that's a good idea that's perfect that's a genius idea and uh um, i can think of a few off and i want to listen to sure. i want to really absorb some of these songs and really get into them and see so i don't know yeah but uh, so to continue i guess i'll talk a little bit more about death row in their beginning go that's, ahead uh, go ahead talk about 91? The, so yeah 91 um okay. So originally, I guess we'll take a, a slight step back, but originally there was a crew called uh, the Fila Fresh crew, okay. and they split up in 1998, and um, that crew um, had the dock in it. I don't know if you're familiar with the dock. I, I, I've heard of the dock, yes. Okay, so like... Um, he was a I fast guess, rapper too, wasn't he? Fast rapper. Oh, I, this okay. is one of Eminem's biggest influences. Oh, um, I remember wow. seeing it. I remember seeing an interview of like Eminem gushing over this guy. Um, so the doc, he was a solo rapper, but he got into a nasty uh, car accident in 1989, and it ruined his voice. So he had like received damage to his vocal cords, and uh, essentially didn't really rap from here on out but he is one of the founders of death row and he founded it with dr dre suge knight and dick griffey so those are the four members and they came together in 1991 um 
And Suge Knight kind of helped uh, Dr. Dre get out of his uh, deals with, um, who was uh, the manager from NWA. Paul Giamatti, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was kind of like, uh, Suge Knight actually was just like a security guard for Bobby Brown. Um, and oh, that was shit. kind of how, that was how he got his introduction into the music scene. Jeez, and was just wild, a big okay. dude that got in- introduced into the music scene um, through being a security officer or a security guard. But um, so, yeah, these four people, they make uh, uh, Death Row Records and their initial idea was to call it Future Shock. And um, instead of doing that, they said, hey, let's name it Def Row, D-E-F Row, um, oh. to been off of uh def jam Jam. it was going to be like the west coast version of def jam and then they ended up scrapping that idea as well because of like rights issues right so um, russell simmons would be happy with that exactly so um dr dre ended up coming up with the idea of death row records so death row records and they um in it was 1992 their first release uh, one of their first big releases was Dr. Dre released a song on deep cover, uh, a 1992 film, and it featured Snoop Dogg. Yes, Snoop yes. Doggy Dogg. So that was um, his introduction into Death Row Records. So, yeah, 91, dude. Hey, that's fucking crazy. And just to bring that up, because I don't know if we're going this deep with these uh, year-by-year his- history lessons, but... Um, I think it was what just a couple years ago that Snoop Dogg got the rights to Death Row Records, and he wants to he revitalize did. it. I read that yeah. just like a little bit ago. It's crazy, but he officially—damn! I just uh, I just lost the article. But um, yeah, he officially has the rights now and owns Death Row Records. It all comes back around. I'm glad he does. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what he does with it. Yeah. Because there was also a, a thing in here, and yeah, we can get into Snoop about NFTs. Too, but, well, <laughs> NFTs, there's a lot of shit about NFTs, but yeah. He, but I guess back in, was it the 90s, maybe a little after that he started uh, Doggy Style Records or something? But whatever happened to that? Did that just fold? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um,. Where the fuck I don't know what happened to Doggy Style Record. I remember him going to No Limit for an album yeah, after and he was the in Death no Row Limit. era. Yeah. Yeah, because he, he, uh, Master P showed him some love and, and released one of his albums. Um, yeah, Doggy Style Records, Inc., a record label fo- founded by Snoop Dogg. Uh, 95. Okay, I should have saved that. I'm sorry, everybody. Just a spoiler there. Um, but it doesn't say whatever happened to it, so I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, he signed with Geffen at one point, Interscope. Snoop's been everywhere, man. He has. Jesus. He's just a hip slut. (laughs) What dog? All right, I don't know. Um, All right, 91. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Uh, Let me bring it back East Coast a little bit, if you don't mind, sir. Tribe Called Quest. Came out with the album, their first album. So this was really the first, I think, uh, yeah, I think this was the first, like, Native Tongues album, so to speak. And 
and I talked about this group a little bit, but Leaders of the New School had an artist on there called Busta Rhymes. He had a little song with uh, the tribe called Quest called Scenario, which jumped Busta into another fucking level. And I re-listened to Scenario this week. Do you know the song I'm referring to? I can't think of it off the top of my head. It is a dope song. And Busta Rhymes' verse on here, listening through this, almost every line of his verse has been sampled by another, like, another song or artist somewhere down the line. It's, it's fucking crazy. You just listen to this because he's like, Powerful Impact, which is sampled by, like, Black Moon. And then uh, he just, he just, he just, almost every other line, you're like, holy shit, they sampled that, too. Like, raw, raw. Oh, I know this song for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was gonna say. I, I think, yeah, yeah. especially you knowing like under. Here we go, yo. Like Here we go, yo. So what's the yep. what's the what's the scenario? Yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, his uh, leaders of the new school bandmates Dinko D and Charlie Brown didn't get as much fame off of this song as Busta did. They kind of uh, went back to irrelevancy. Uh, but maybe they wanted to. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't want the fame. I I don't know all the underground, all the the deep behind the scenes stuff there. But Buster Rhymes certainly took to a new level of fame after being on that song. And um, we'll get into it in a couple years. We'll get to the Wu Tang thing. But according to the Wu Tang TV show, some of those guys were listening to Scenario when they realized, you know, this whole group thing could work where there's a lot of us MMCs on one track. And um, so whether that's true or not, too, they did highlight that on the uh, the Wu-Tang uh, uh, show that was out recently. Fucking crazy, man. Yeah, I love Tribe. Big Tribe fan. Oh, Tribe's so good. All the jazzy influence. and Yeah, they definitely took things to a new level there for a little bit. And I was all for it. The Tribe De La scene was, was certainly resonating with me at the time. And still, I still go back and listen to that shit. Um. All right. Well, I'm gonna take. Thing, it. Uh, yeah. What do you got? I was just what do you got? Gonna introduce. Um, my sister. She used to live in New York City, and she worked for Sony Music. Okay. And she got to do a few like pop up shops, and she handled uh, a tribe called Quest merch. And so oh, I used way, to get. I used to get a bunch of free tribe called Quest merch, and she met uh, all of them. So she uh she actually has a she dog. And her dog's name is Fife, dude. She met Fife. Yeah, get out of here! I swear, dude, it's oh, it's dude. fucking crazy, bro. What what merch did you get? You still got it? Yeah, I still got. You I gotta got some, have um, shit. Okay. Yeah, I got have I have a few tribe called Quest um, hoodies. I got some shirts. Oh, yeah. Dude, no, that's crazy, man. Yeah. What the fuck, bro? FOMO. <laughs> <laughs> I never got to meet him. Awesome. I just got I just got the free shit. You know, I was like, hey, okay, that's, cool. that's that's fine. Yeah. That's enough. That's awesome, dude. She probably got some stories. And we'll have to have her on here. Right? Yeah, she's a big fan. See if she's down to do that. I want to pick her brain about. Because I'm sure there's other groups, too. She was in Sony Music. Mm-hmm. God damn, dude. Yeah, I got some. I got a lot of a free uh, uh, Nas merch, too. So oh, she was in charge no. of Nas's merch. Yeah. No way. Holy I swear, shit. dude. One of the goats, bro. Although you Love can't really them. say one of the goats, because really it's supposed to be a goat. Just one goat, it's right? Greatest it's greatest of all supposed time. to be. I used to say yeah. greatest scissors of all time. Yeah. I don't know. Um, all right, what else happened in 91? We're still in 91? Holy shit. Okay. I know, dude. 
The first half is packed, bro. <clears throat> this is crazy, dude. Um, I had two NWA things. I don't know if you were dipping into this. I was not. Um, but it was 91, I believe, when their uh, album without Tupac, or without Ice Cube on it came out. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying the album title. You can say it. You're more ethnic than me, if you want. <laughs> nah, you gotta say it. It's part of the culture. It's part of the culture. It's part of the culture. It's a title. album title. <laughs> but uh, NWA's niggas for, niggas life. for life. I say it real fast so you don't really hear it. We said niggas it together. For life. That was, it, cute, it, was it worked out perfect. It We're going fun. down together. <laughs> <laughs> that came out, sold almost a million copies in his first re- week, reached number one on pop charts. This, I think, was the moment that gangster rap went mainstream. Before the show, I was singing the, the Pita Pita Pussy Eater song, which yep. resonated in my mind. I, I listened to that when I was like six years old, I think. It was great. Stealing my br- brother's uh, CDs and records. But uh, seminal. It, 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 Even without Ice Cube, though, that's a fucking banger of an album. Yeah, it is. But then... I don't know how long after, but I think it was the same year that they officially were disbanded, though, right? Mm-hmm. As a group, that was, so. uh, that was uh, the end of the year where Dre got pulled out um, yep. by Suge. Ah, it all ties back to Suge. Suge making mm-hmm. these power moves. What a body. He is. Dude, fucking boss mode. Fuck, man. That's wild. All right, I hope you got some more Suge stuff, too. I wasn't really dipping into that whole thing, but... He was uh, def- definitely influential here. Um, but then speaking of Ice Cube, Death Certificate, his album came out this year as well, which continued that beef that had one of the greatest, uh, you know, battle beef jams ever in there with No Vaseline, which I think we talked yes. about already, too. But One of my favorite diss oh, tracks. I think it's one of the best. I mean, it, it's definitely yeah. got to be. It's got to be top three. I mean, he took down a whole group with that one. He did. Verse by it verse. It just... wasn't a one-on-one beef. It was fucking everybody. And, and just and just the tongue-in-cheek. I mean, he's, he's fine po- poking fun of himself, too, with just, like, the intro shit where they were just, where he took the shit off of, off of, uh, niggas for, like, say it real fast. Um, where, <laughs> you know, just little samples when, when they did the phone call segment, like, everyone calling in, dissing Ice Cube and shit on the album. Yeah, he sampled that from them, threw that on the album, said, "All right, you know, I can make fun of myself a little bit, whatever." No, I'm telling you, I love Ice Cube as a person. He's just, he's, I love his, his mentality. Good dude. Me too. He was so independent compared to everybody else. Yeah, right. Kind of like don't give a fuck, but kind of he knows what he wants and he's not afraid to get it or say what he needs to to mm-hmm. do what he needs to. Made all his own choices. Yeah. It's a real man, I think. Good influence for the generations. All right, uh, I got one more thing in 1991. You got anything else you want to throw in there first? Yeah, sure. Um, to continue on to uh, the rise of Latino rap, the uh, 91 is when we get the first album from Cypress Hill. Oh, Cypress Hill nice? was, yeah. So okay, 91. Yes huge player in the latino rap scene and not even just the latino rap scene the entire rap scene these guys um kind of were you know they were bringing 
weed to the forefront of hip hop, mm -hmm. right? Like it was like a running theme for them, and everybody knew Cypress Hill as the weed smokers. Yes, and um, so their original, they were gonna, their original group was actually called DVX or Devastating Vocal Excellence, and it included a fourth member. Um, named um, Mellow Man and he ended up dropping out so it left the three that we know DJ Muggs, Be Real and uh, let's see DJ Muggs was from New York too so that was a, a cool thing so it was oh, a, a little bit of mixture yeah. yeah it was a little bit of mixture of New York and LA uh, coming together but um, yeah so Cypress Hill dude didn't they have uh, wasn't uh, how I could just kill a man like in the juice soundtrack or something? Yes, I kind of just was. remember it blowing up there and then and then the sample with the uh, which I'll talk about for the next year, but Red Man Joint just ah. Yeah, How I Could Kill a Man was their big first single, and it was a double sided uh, single. And it, the other track was the the funky feel one. So um, that was their big their big hit. Peaking number one on Billboard's Hot Rap Tracks. Dang, that's crazy. And as I always say, a lot goes to the voice. And uh, you can't mistake Be Real's voice. It was very prominent. Very nasally prominent, but uh, it just fit perfect. Again, funny-ass guy who was willing to just have fun with it. And you could tell. What else you got for 91? Uh, the only other 91 thing I had was uh, Tupac's first album came out. Tupacalypse okay. yep. Now. Which, uh, I don't know. That's all I had written down. Yeah, I mean, that was <laughs> the launch of his now solo career. Uh, yeah, so you know, it's right after he joined Digital Underground. Next year, he just ventured onto his own thing and busted out. He, he was kind out, of, um, he was solo all of... Uh, 90 to 95 so he was doing his own thing and uh a lot oh, of yeah. it included movies too so what are we talking about juice poetic justice Ju all that? juice starts uh yeah 92 is that really 92, when right uh, yeah. yeah really when the hip-hop movies started to really come out was 92 so the next year that's fucking hype okay you got anything else dipping in there into the year no that was the last little note i had was also that tupac album that was that was it oh and that goes Europe right in 91 because yeah, yeah 92 yeah. juice came out which featured mm -hmm. tupac featured a lot of great hip-hop as well there's a great rock hymn song in there um yes. know the ledge and uh i don't know that was I, growing up that was one of my favorite movies i gotta rewatch that sometime soon because juice is beautiful I, I, I think you could consider it a hip-hop movie right it's not like about yeah. hip-hop but just that scene at the beginning where they're in stealing the records is enough to call it a hip-hop movie i think i love that yeah scene. well i wrote like a a list of movies like the early 90 early and mid 90s the the hip-hop soundtracks for some of these movies these i guess urban films right. um were fucking great dude like what some of my learn? favorite things go ahead we'll um, take a little tangent so my per my personal favorite is uh, Above the Rim from 94. Dude, that soundtrack yes. is fucking unreal. Like uh, Sisters with Voices. I mean, th there's so many good songs on it. And not just hip hop, you know, like yeah. it was uh, it was fucking. Uh, dude, I love that album. And Dog Pound's on that as well. Okay. And okay. Uh, I remember, you know, I was talking about b being a big Dog Pound fan. So 
Um, yeah, dude. Concept Park. Justice 93. Poetic Justice. Um, yeah, so it was absolutely hip-hop's breaking mainstream, getting a lot of uh, play all over the place. When you get the whole soundtracks that are dedicated, that's another level. Nutty Professor. Mm-hmm. That had a great hip-hop soundtrack. It did. Um, oh, High School High. I don't even remember the movie. I think it was just like a stupid parody satire movie with John Lovitz or something. But they had this banging soundtrack. That was the first time I heard The Roots. The Roots. Um, man, there's a bunch of other crazy shit. Yo. CB4. That was 90-something, right? That had to be early 90s. I don't know. I don't know. You ever see CB4? I don't think so, no. CB4. I might have to give you some homework this week, bro. You have to see CB4 because it's pretty much a okay. parody. It's a Chris Rock movie. It's a comedy, but it's pretty much a parody of NWA's Rise to Fame, and uh, it has like Charlie Murphy in it, uh, Chris Rock, bunch of other dudes. But they just like these these dudes just start this hip hop group and then get to NWA levels of fame off of it. But uh, it's so fucking funny. And some Beastie Boys trivia. Let me throw in there that the director of CB4, uh, Tamara Davis, is actually the wife of Mike D of the Beastie Boys. So I'll just throw oh, it in okay. She's a big movie director. She's, she's done some actually some really good uh, good movies in her day. She's done uh, uh, CB4. She's done a movie you might have heard called Billy Madison. Mm-hmm. She did Half Baked. Oh wow! Uh, she did. She, she did. Ah, she did a TV show, Method in Red. That was a TV show, Method in Red. Do you remember Wasn't this? Like, I think a little bit. Or maybe I'm thinking maybe. of how high. I'm well, how know, high for sure. Dude. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember a TV show. There was a TV series called I Method in Red. Together. <laughs> she directed that. Uh, she directed some My Name Is Earl episodes too. Wow, I didn't know that. Uh, Bunch of TV shows, I guess she started doing then in the 2000s and all, but, uh, but yeah, CB4 is one of the best. And please, please do your on my favorite. list. You gotta watch CB4, yeah, yeah. bro. It kind of because you could use that in the, in some of these shows too, bro. Oh my god, there's so many quotable lines. All right, please, please. I need your I need your CB4 review in one okay. of these upcoming episodes. No doubt. All right, cool, cool, cool. Um, maybe one of our first spinoff, or not spinoff, but side sh- or I don't know what you want to call it, our, our more spotlight shows. Yeah, we'll okay. Do, uh, we'll do the hip-hop movies, because that's definitely one of them that's in there. All right, uh, let's move it along. Let's move it along. We're in 92 now, aren't we? Um, I think we, that we were finishing up 92 just there. Um, we got talking about the movies, like Juice and all that stuff. All right, um... Well, ninety two. Nah, we finished ninety one with Desert or with Tupacalypse now. Ninety two. Okay, was moving juice. Into That's right. Yeah, all right. Yep. Moving into ninety two. Speaking of the weed thing, I got two real quick weed ones that came out in ninety two. So weed was definitely taking. Uh, it was influencing a lot of hip hop or vice versa or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. But we had Dr. Dre's The Chronic come out in ninety two. Yeah. Speaking of him disbanding from NWA and everything. 
But yeah. I think that's what popularized G-Funk for the world. You saw Dude, it this... brewing in the 80s. Now it's to come to the forefront. This album spoke to, like, all of California's soul at the time. Yeah. Like, it was... Spoke I mean, I can't even... The East Coast. Yeah, I'm it sure was, I'm sure it was big. Barriers. Yeah, I guess it was the one that, like, kind of brought, like, West Coast to the forefront. Um, said, you know... Because, uh, like, New York dominated um, hip-hop up until these early 90s period, yep. I would say. Yep, yep, yep. You know? There were some good albums, like, you know, obviously that we've talked about coming out of uh, the West Coast, but it just wasn't as big or, you know, they weren't making the the moves that the New York scene was. So, dude, The Chronic was the big turning point, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah, but now, yeah, we were bumping that. I remember, I think, sixth grade is when we were bumping that on the playground. And on the school bus going to and from (laughs) school. It was it was chronic and uh, doggy style a lot to be honest, which I think was the next year if I'm not mistaken. But we'll check that out. Um, but yeah, it was it's just it was just wild times, man. Such a good album. It still holds up too. It does. Dre production, man. Classic. So good. So good. But the other weed one, uh, East Coast weed guy. Very much in the light of, in, in the same vein as, uh, like, Cypress Hill. But Redman, one of my favorites, dropped his first album, What the Album. And uh, <clears throat> he was he was mostly hanging out with, like, the EPMD crew at the time. He was on, like, I think two tracks with EPMD. And then he came out with his whole thing, What the Album. And it, it's, it, it kind of has, if you listen back to that album, because this was pre-Woo, but it definitely has, like, Wu-Tang vibes. It's like, more of a gritty New York style, although dude is from Jersey. But it has this, like, gritty kind of New York feel to it. It's, it, it just kind of uh, became that sound of the East Coast side for a while there. But um, I, I think I look at that as, as such a classic album. And again, it has that Ooh. sample. Redman has that sample in the on this track time for action i don't know the na- uh, title of that song damn i was thinking it was if i could just kill a man Does, doesn't it say that in there time for some accent just a fraction of fiction i got the clearance to run the interference i think that is that one yeah i think it is how i could just kill a man I love it. Just kill a man. Yes. Okay. I had to get to the chorus in my yep, mind. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> so he took that nice sample from "If I Could Just Kill a Man," made that banger of a hit. Time for some action, which is uh, one of my favorite and one of the, his first breakout hits from Red Man. So give him Red Man some props, man. I love some Red Man. I love Red Man, dude. I'm good. Just so wild. good. And he's still what a personality. Personality. Yes. Yeah. Like I'll Great never forget. I can pictured in my head his entire mtv cribs episode like, oh I'll my never god forget yes. it dude never you know dude. it's the best episode it's of cribs there ever fun. was he just yeah. and, his, and that's that's his legit jersey house man there's no yeah. no bullshitting um <laughs> that's where he lived well he had the house i don't think he really honestly lived there but it was funny for the show anyway he just like trolled all the rich people and made fun of exactly. everybody and it was, yeah, it was so good 
just brilliant, brilliant. Just people sleeping in the living room and shit. And he like pulled, <laughs> yeah, pulled out the sure. like the, the the shoe box from off top of the, the, yeah. the refrigerator. I can reach everything in my bathroom sitting on the toilet. Like <laughs> he's like touching all the walls. Like, <laughs> oh my god, classic episode. Do yourself a favor out there. Check out YouTube. Look up Red Man Cribs because it's still out there. Very funny. So good. Alright. Uh oh, there was some shit happening in the West Coast. Let's uh I know for sure. What do you got though? Yeah. What do you got? I, that's all um, I got for ninety two. So So I'll end uh ninety two uh with this guy named Mac Dre. So Ooh. he comes from Oakland, California, and then ended up moving to a place um just outside of Oakland called Vallejo. And uh he had been releasing mixtapes. Um, in the late 80s and then all the way up to 92 and he was starting to take off Uh, one of his first biggest hits was um, let's see here and you you may have heard this yourself but um, I've definitely uh, heard of Too too Hard for the Fucking Radio Mm -hmm. um, was one of his uh, big first hits and he released it when he was in high school and uh dude, it's a it's a pretty good song it's a classic but this is like very bay area this dude is um like the you know he he's got like bay area personality to a t so you'll hear a different vibe if you listen to some mac dre but um so he wasn't huge yet but uh mac dre is like kind of like a hero over here out on the west coast or people love his story i guess he's kind of a crazy story but in 1992, he ended up getting arrested and going to prison for four years because he was tied to a bank robber group. And um, there was a lot of, uh, they were never able to prove it, but um, authorities kind of thought that they were funding their music production through robbing banks. And um, they called this group the Romper Room Gang. And uh, uh, I kind of want to expand on it later on down the road when we were talking about doing like a crime episode, a crime and hip hop. This this is a very long story and like it's one of my favorites. I love it. But um, he was a big Bay Area guy. And so he kind of um, he had he was forced to stop in 1992 for for a period. So went to prison for four years. Okay. I've definitely heard the name, but yeah, I don't know any of the uh, history. I'm very curious. I'll be excited for that. Yeah. You might know him because he started what was called, uh, what we called like the fizz um, music, which was like big when uh, ecstasy was taken off. Okay. 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 You'll have to school me a little bit. Yeah. It comes a little later. So his obviously him going to prison for four years here. He kind of uh, has a resurgence in the late uh, 90s. So I'll get to get to his post-prison career later. Okay, I'm hype, I'm hype, I'm hype. Oh, I did actually have one more thing. Um, I talked about previous episodes that the source was pretty much the hip-hop magazine. That was uh, definitely peaking almost around this time and in the, into the late 90s. Um, but, uh, it was 1992 where a, uh, guy named Christopher Wallace appeared in their unsigned hype column, who is also known as the Notorious B.I.G. Ooh-wee. So he first was starting his come up at this time, and there's a little bit of good trivia here. And I didn't realize this, but his early stage name was, uh, M.C.C. West. 
or whatever. C C West. Yeah, huh? See the Christopher part. I don't know what the West part is from. But uh, MCC West was Notorious Big's early name. Got into a lot of legal trouble growing up. And uh, while in prison, I think, for this North Carolina crack sale gone wrong, um, where he spent nine months in jail, he was working on a lot of music. And then he came out with a little demo tape called Microphone Murder. Murder of mass mayhem maker. BIGs on the mic, call the undertaker. Make an appointment, schedule an interview. Because you know what big man's about to do? 50 grand on the technique. At the right peak, brothers want to hear the words big man speak. The microphone, I'm ripping. The burner got the clipping. Slamming them seeds like Scotty Pippen. on old gold pole is the rhyme you stole. Puffing on dime bags, and I've been told. My words are harder than a brick. Chinese arithmetic, a thick stick, and my dick. Makes me sick when you pick the wick rack. Rob G, you keep it to pump on this tic-tac comp seat. The B.I.T. moves swifter than a ninja. Even a stick-up shot the last adventure. Keep my eyes open and the case closed. No eyewitnesses, no names are exposed. Just a heavy set one with a big gun and a sweet tongue shaking down everyone. Look like Michael Jackson, kicks like Bo Jackson, bitches like Freddie Jackson. No need to axe in the crew. Oh, no frontin', no faking moves. Fightin' the fuckin', no fakin', no stickin' moves. Smack the fool and disagree, recognize the pedigree. Rhyme is mine cause I said it's me Step to a big man gripping the mic stand Keep a bank rolling so do 50 grand And I give you my hand cause you deserve a pound Trying to blow up the spot in my part of town Raise because you get no praise And uh, this is what I think the unsigned hype column was promoting at the time And there was a guy who worked at the source as an A&R Called Sean Combs who heard this demo and immediately wanted to link up with this guy signed him to at the time uptown records on july 14th 1992 took him a couple years to really get the the album out but um it all started right there in uh july 92 where biggie started his whole climb to fame and i you gotta give Sean Combs, a little bit of credit there. Because he certainly latched onto that uh, vehicle and got himself up there, too. Now he's, yeah, like running, he did. now he's running the world, I think. You can't talk negative yeah. about him now or some bad there's, thing. There's, there's, yeah, there's a little controversy surrounding uh, uh, P. Diddy nowadays. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a very controversial fucking figure. Yeah, for some reason, everyone that wants to write a book about him dies. Mm, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of shit, and I'm saying, <laughs> yeah. and I'm I'm just saying, based off the last album, yeah. the Eminem album. Be careful if something happens to Eminem, we'll see what happens. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that was freaking wild shit. He's kind of turned into Suge Knight, in a sense, a little bit, in, yeah, in a weird twist of everything. Looking at it, that's crazy, man. But yeah, they kind of ran their organizations like uh, like mob bosses in yeah, a way, right? Right? Yeah. Certainly looking at that now in retrospect. Crazy. All right. You got anything else for 92 then? No, that's it for 92. All right. I do have something then West Coast wise I thought you might bring up because this um, this hit hip hop a lot and a lot of groups took to this and used this as uh, sort of some social political commentary in hip hop for a while. But the L.A. Riots. April and May of 92 
based on the acquittal of the police officers who uh, were involved in the uh, famous King. beating of Rodney King. Um, but that sparked the uh, L.A. riots, and especially like Ice Cube. He rapped a lot about that at the time with those couple albums at that he time. Did. Where he was talking a lot about the officers and the situation, and was that on America's uh, Most Wanted? He was really talking about that. Uh, I think more so on Death Certificate and Death Certificate. Uh, okay, the next one was a Predator. Was the next one? I think he he talked a little bit about it, but um, yeah, Death Certificate for sure was where he was going off on them and took it to a whole new level. But I think that had an in, in definite impact on how. Um, Hip hop started viewing police brutality, police activity, and there was a big. I mean, we definitely had fuck the police in the late 80s. Um, the disaster area, obviously. The jury found that they were all not guilty. Make it rough. For a time there, it was definitely very negative police. I remember listening to a lot of hip-hop growing up, and my viewpoint was certainly, fuck the police, based on uh, these rappers influencing my mind. Which was a lot of truth. But it's sort of a big, you know, net to throw out there. Yeah. That's funny, like, dude, when I was a kid, I was like, yeah, fuck the police for yeah. sure, dude. <laughs> you just grew up knowing fuck the police, right? Yeah. Just the way you, you know it. That's what you're taught. And you're, you're, I mean, you're, you can hear people sing about studies. it all the way back to, like, um, you know, like Rick James was talking about fuck the police. Oh, for sure. Day, for sure. It know? definitely goes back. Yeah. Bill Hicks. Fuck the police. Hmm. Crazy shit. All right, let's go into 93, because 93, a lot of shit erupted. Man, I do have a lot from 93. Go ahead. You got What do you got for 93? 93. Let's see here. So for 93, I got um, Snoop Dogg, dude. Yeah. Doggy style, baby. Yeah. So Snoop yeah, Dogg's yeah, yeah. first uh, solo debut album, um, Doggy Style, was... I mean, Snoop came on the scene so fucking hot, it was crazy. I mean, there was no, there's no period of Snoop where it's not like he wasn't known. He just like was immediately a superstar, man. Immediately, like you were saying, yeah. Deep Cover was his jam. That such a great fucking dance. Yeah, that beat. I still love that fucking Deep Cover beat. So good. So yeah, he was just a, a like a fucking natural superstar, man. And and this album is still. I mean, you hear the songs like on commercials today. You know, you could watch TV. And you could probably hear a Snoop Dogg commercial at some point or watch a sporting event and hear it. Um, mm -hmm. He's just, he's, it's still around. It was that fucking influential, man. Yeah, we, we were absolutely listening to Doggy Style on the freaking school bus in sixth grade. I, I remember it clear as freaking day. It's crazy. Yeah. 
Um, another thing um, to mention about Snoop Dogg was that uh, he was in a small group before his, you know, solo success in '93. That was uh, this this group called Two One Three, and it was Warren G and Nate Dogg. And oh, as we yeah, know, okay. they were major players that stayed um, throughout the hip hop scene on the West Coast. I mean, how many fucking hooks have you heard that Nate Dogg has done, right? Uh, so with Snoop Dogg came two other OGs of the G-Funk sound. Yeah, RIP to, to Nate Dogg. He passed away rough too, man. A bunch of, bunch of strokes and stuff like that, but love him dude and i think like the the death of nate dog was like kind of like the rise in like lazy auto-tune hooks man i think like people oh just, you might be right man that's yeah. around the same time around the same time dude like i i, I think nate dog kept that like you know r&b style hook around as long as he could yeah well it was it was a combination too of just laziness and trying to trying to get the easy money i think Mm-hmm. Where you don't you can't sing, but ah, I want to put out an album where I sing, so auto tune is around. Let's just use yeah. This. There are definitely as, as hip hop evolves into the current times, you can kind of see some of that laziness in hip hop. I would say, I don't know. yes, That's the best way to say it, but it's just, it's, I don't know. That's why we're not going to go that deep. I don't think we might take this to two thousand and then. Start doing and then do some focused episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. After that, there's a couple things here and there, but you know, it spreads out a little bit more for me. Yeah, it starts getting spread out. Is a good way to say it. It starts getting spread too thin, maybe all around. Plus, I wouldn't consider it history past 2000, right? Exactly. We're we're kind of catching up on the golden period here. Although that still is 23 years ago. (laughs) 23 years worth of shit, which I don't want to think about, okay? I don't want to think about how long it is, just the 2000. Jesus freaking. Death Um, Row Records is 32 years old, bro. Jesus fucking Christ. Shut your face. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane, man. Um, All right, 93. Let me throw some East Coast shit in there, because there was a group that I previously was talking about that came out with their debut album, the Wu-Tang fucking Clan, with that gritty New York style that used uh, the fucking Kung Fu movie samples. I think that was one of the first times in hip-hop where you were using something other than just, uh, you know, the regular disco, jazz, whatever samples. It was getting a lot more experimental. It just worked with this group, everyone with their distinct, unique flavor that they brought to the table. They all branched out with their solo albums, which is something that the that the RZA actually made sure to do ahead of time, was to start getting these guys lined up with projects before even the first album came out. He started having deals in places for all these solo albums. Because he wanted them to just, I don't know, he wanted to just have this thing to just grow and expand and... And it worked out beautifully. I mean, he came out, and they all had different, you know, um, uh, labels that they were signed to. So it just branched out. It was a beautiful kind of thing that that uh, was set forth there. But '93 uh, Wu Tang Clan entered the Wu Tang. One of my top five albums, probably of all time. Yep, this was what brought me to the East big time. Woohoo! Wu Tang, dude underground flavor something about it man just everything Ugh. 
So you gotta love some Wu-Tang. That started in 93. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they brought together, like, kung fu movies, comics, hip-hop, chess. Uh, like, they brought, like, all these different cultures together, and I was, like, a fan of a few of them. So it felt like they were talking to me. You know what I mean? Yes. There, there's something for everybody, I think, too. Yeah. Because you could relate like, oh, to, like... these dudes are, like, rapping about the their fucking hobbies. You yeah, know? exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you had Inspector and Jizzard just out there. And that, they, those spoke to me the most because of the lyrical shit. I was just always into like the rock him and didn't all these lyrical guys who were twisting words in weird ways and just talking about shit that you wouldn't expect people to rap about. And you had those guys in Wu-Tang. You had just the raw, rough guys in Wu-Tang. You had the crazy, old, dirty bastard type guys in Wu-Tang. So it was just this flavor. There was just definitely something for everyone. And it kind of set things in a different direction as far as the East Coast hip-hop vibe. I freaking loved it. Uh, And let me just throw in there as well, talking about Sean Puffy Combs, that 93 was when uh, Bad Boy Entertainment was officially formed as well. Um, Because I guess he got out of this A&R thing and started uh, on the back of Biggie. Started creating his little empire there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll see what they started doing uh, in 94. But So that was some wild shit. Uh, I think the East Coast-wise, that's all I really had in here for 93. Okay. So I don't know what else was brewing out West. Um, so out West, let's see. Um, one of the first things I'll, I'll make note of is uh, Tupac really, uh, releases another album. So he comes out with Strictly For My Niggas in 1993. And uh, I think album? this... What was um, Strictly, Strictly For My Niggas. Okay. Yes, <laughs> yeah, this is a good album. Uh, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I, this was the album that uh, Suge Knight took notice of, of Tupac. Oh, and okay. was kind of like, you know, this is, uh, he put him on his radar, right? You know, and he kind of, start, I think he started to kind of make some moves f- uh, for Tupac around this him. time. Okay, yeah. yeah. Wasn't able to officially get him um, around this time. But yeah, so Tupac's still doing his solo career thing. And then also that same year, 93, comes out with uh, Poetic Justice. So tupac is cruising on music and movies and good movies at that too like this guy was a a fucking artist like we talked about his background uh you know last episode he was in schools of arts he was reading books he was living with that teacher and also fucking being a gangster on the other side you know what i mean so um tupac man fucking he was practically bishop it was 93 as well that he got into uh his legal troubles and i think he was arrested for a time right in Mm -hmm. 93 wasn't he was for a couple years even maybe if i'm not mistaken and uh this was actually getting him out of this jail stint was uh he was posted bail by um suge knight in exchange for signing to death row Shit, bro. Oh. Okay. So he he signed a deal with the devil to get out of jail, dude. You're not lying, bro. Holy fuck. fucking okay. crazy as Suge, dog. That's crazy, dude. Like, hey, I'll, I'll I'll post your bail if you sign the death row. Like, fuck, that's shit. fucking crazy, dude. Holy shit. That's fucked up, dude. Yeah, I didn't know that part of it. Maybe I heard that at some point in life, but nah, that's crazy. 
Yeah, I don't think that happened until '95. It was '95. Um, I have yeah. So, but yep, yeah, he fucking let him out. It was like some sexual assault charges. Okay, I forgot what it was, and I didn't write it down. Mm-hmm. Ah, that'll fuck him. That sucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One uh, little anecdote I will add in for '93. Um, Please is. So at the end of 92, a group, it's, it's not considered pure hip-hop here, but it is something that I love personally. Um, uh, in 1992, at the end of the year, a group Rage Against the Machine releases their first Ooh, album, okay. self-titled Rage Against the Machine. And uh, in 93, they just, I mean, the, the controversy started rolling for them. And they started making waves because of their lyrics and um, their album cover, uh, specifically, it showed like that monk um, burning himself in Saigon mm-hmm. in 1963. So uh, they started to come on the scene pretty hot, and it, they're kind of considered like rap metal. So this is like one of the first, you know, uh, besides Beastie Boys, obviously, one of the first like, uh, you know, the mix of metal and uh, rap. Yeah, definitely a little more harder core and. Yeah, good shit. But, like, in the spirit of hip-hop, too, with, like, their socially conscious uh, lyrics and stuff like that, you know? Um, they were also on the, the forefront of, like, you know, the fuck you to the government. Uh, oh, my just, God. Like, the whole rap very scene Very political. Was. Yeah, very, yeah. very political. They had a good track with uh, KRS-One at some point there, probably late 90s, I'm guessing. Um, but, yeah, Rage right Against the Machine. I, I, give them, I give them credit. I give them respect. Yeah, I love these guys. Went and saw them once uh, in San Bernardino, and when I left that amphitheater, it was on fire. Oh my god! <laughs> it was That's fucking, fucking crazy, awesome, dude. dude. That's a show you don't easily forget. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, all right, so I think that's all we got for ninety three, ninety four. Might end it here, just because there's so much happening in the 90s. And uh, the end of the decade is 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 just as filled with <laughs> crazy hip-hop stuff going on, too. But um, 94, another one of my, I would say, top five albums came out in 94 with this guy called Nas. Ooh. Illmatic dropped in April 19th of 94. And uh, this is still, I think, looked at as some people say this is one of the greatest hip hop albums of all time I'll say there might be right it just came together so perfectly you had Nas with such great lyrics storytelling ability The he had some of the best producers of the time working on the, the beats and, and it is just a, it was just a beautiful thing that came together and and uh, put him on a freaking uh, I don't know put him on a Put him on the map as one of the possible goats. <laughs> yeah, he's he's amazing. Yeah, and God, hey, wouldn't have had that Nas merch without without him. Nope, it wouldn't have made sense without him. He also owns a chicken and waffle spot in Brooklyn, dude. That's fucking fire. Does he really? Chick. Yeah, dude. I went there uh, some years back, dude. It's it's it was so fucking good. Wait, what's it called? Sweet Chick, I think was the name of it. <laughs> That's hilarious, man. I had no clue he owned a fucking chicken joint. Yeah, it's Sweet in Brooklyn. Chick NYC. Nas, yep. <laughs> Yo, that's wild, bro. All right, I might have to go. Dude, see and it. all they did was play 
dope fucking 90s hip hop the whole time in the restaurant. Oh, bro, that's awesome. Dude, it was it was a cool little little joint. My sister took me there. Damn. Ozzy. Um, and he's still fucking dropping shit, man. And he's been he's been doing and I I really like this when artists do this, but they do those surprise releases. Like he came out with his uh his album King's Disease and then like out of nowhere King's Disease 2 came out. And then he just came out with um this year Magic and Magic 2. Or Magic 2 and Magic 3, I mean. Because Magic came out 2 years prior, but so he's still like just dropping albums randomly just like all the time. I love that. Yeah. Guys crazy. Mm, oh my god, this was the year. All right, do you have any new cuz there's two other big other uh releases that happened in 94. But was there any like other crazy news that happened? Uh for 94, um for 94, I did a little dive on Outcast. Outcast Southern Playlist of Cadillac Music came out yes. April 26th. So, yes. 1994. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, this is, I love Dirty South rap. And this is like essentially the, you know, we talked a little bit about Ghetto Boys from Texas, but right. I think um, this is the Dirty South rap that everyone kind of yes. thinks of when we talk when about you, the South. When you say Dirty South, yes. yeah, this definitely is the first example, I think, that pops into a lot of hits. Right. So, yeah, Southern Playlist of Cadillac Music, dude, 94. This is one of my personal favorite albums of all time. And um, Andre 3000 and Big Boy, uh, they initially, they wanted to call themselves Two Shades Deep or The Misfits. Oh, and wow. Ooh. So none of those names worked out because of uh, obviously the Misfits was a was a yeah. punk rock group, right? Yeah. Um, so that instead, what they did was they looked for a synonym in the dictionary for Misfit, and it was Outcast. And okay. so that's how they got their name. Uh, was they they couldn't pick Misfits? It was already taken, so they chose Outcast instead. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But, um, they met in high school, man. So these dudes were starting to make music together in high school. It's such a unique style, such a blend of like it. It, it kind of uh, it wasn't just hip hop. I would say they're they were yeah. on that level where they were creating new kind Some of jazz. genres in a sense, right? Yeah, they really um, look at it. Yeah. They were students of both the coasts. Right. You know, they loved New York hip hop. They loved West Coast hip hop. And what they did was they decided to give it like a positive spin. Like what you're talking about, backpack rap. Yeah. These are one of the big early players, in my opinion, for backpack rap, too, or or that made it mainstream. And it wasn't just about being a gangster. You know what I'm talking about? Exactly. Yes. Um, So a little bit more positive vibes, uh, some blues and some jazz background, you know, like samples for their beats. So Mm -hmm. it really did bring that little Southern flavor to the table. Little gumbo of hip hop, dude, if you would say. Ooh, I love it. (laughs) Perfect analogy. But yeah, Outkast, Outkast were doing their thing. First album came out and it could be a top five. You well, I have for like you twenty well. top fives. Not for me. It's not one of my top <laughs> okay. fives, but yeah, it's I, one I of mean, my players. Top ball. Five. There's the, the you know the main hits on there. We're definitely in heavy rotation at the time. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, um, Southern Playlistic, 
Atlians and uh, Aquemini were definitely like in in rotation a lot. Um, yes, when they came out, those first three albums were just like top notch because it was something different, you know. And I was into like raucous and stuff like that, more of the backpacky kind of shit that wasn't just following the main trends there. And um, I always, you know, uh, gravitated toward different. I'm always a fan of the different or just experimenting or pushing the boundaries of the music. And Outkast absolutely, you know, covers that basis for sure. Um, the other big album, I mentioned a little bit about this guy, but Biggie's Ready to Die came out as well in 94. And I think that cemented him as a uh, hip-hop legend. Uh, however short-lived his legacy would be, um, this album... It's probably a top five album, I would say. Yes, this is probably on the top of a I lot of hip hop fans' top list. Five albums, no it's really what a good album. Yeah. It's really it a good is, and that's one of the. It's, it's and I think it's one of these like front to back albums, man. There's a lot of albums that don't have you know great songs every track, but I think almost every track of this freaking album is is, is quality that you can just listen through. Good shit, man. Honestly, I think that's really all I got for 94. Uh, one thing I'll, I'll hmm. bring up on uh, for East Coast, uh, one of my favorites, was uh, was a Pete Rock and CL Smooth. Ooh. Um, the main ingredient. Oh, the main ingredient. Well, I think that's Yeah, that, so that was the album that came out. I, I, this, I love this fucking jam, dude. P Rock CL Smooth, um, especially because it was it was included in a lot of video games that I played. Oh, was it really? Yeah, like um, I played all the NBA Streets, and so they always had Pete Rock okay. CL Smooth jams and shit in there. And uh, this is one of my personal favorite East Coast albums. You know, to be honest, I know like a couple songs, but I don't even know if I've ever really absorbed the album. That might have to be my homework. Because I know more of Pete Rock from just a, a lot of his production that he's done for yeah. other artists. Because um, he's an amazing producer. But as far as a lot of the CL Smooth type shit, uh, I mean, They Reminisce Over You is just one of the ones that really just pops in my mind. Is, and that, it's and a that, huge song. Oh my god, that, that's like one of my favorite beats. and It's, it's a great song all around. <laughs> And they have the change-up intro, bro. Dude. Oh, it's, it's amazing. But I'm a big fan of the change-up intro. Doom does this every now and then. Like, Mad Lib and stuff does this. But they'll have that. The beat starts out one way. You don't know what's going on. And it just switches up. And then it just drops. Oh, yeah, it's just something. I don't know. I just love it. I love the switch-ups. Big up to Ice Cube. Jacking for beats. There's a switch-up every couple seconds. Crazy. Maybe not seconds, but lines. Whatever. All right, I'm tapped out for 90s first half, bro. Yeah, I think that's it for me. Um, yeah, the second half of the 90s is like a big, big change. Yeah, I got the Coastal Wars coming up. Coastal Wars coming up. Um, you got the rise of underground hip hop. Oh, we got Bling Bling coming up. Excited about that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like the rich rich style rap really started taking off 
Uh-huh. Talking about fucking rims and necklaces yeah, yeah. and <laughs> all that, dude. Got very materialistic there in the late it, 90s. It, cash it money, that's who it was, yeah. yeah. Fucking the music videos were always on (laughs) boats or with fucking crazy cars. And every album cover had that same, like, it just had way too much shit on it. And it was real (laughs) shiny. And you remember the No Limit? (laughs) That's what, yeah, like the No Limit. Yeah, cash money. Colored plastic. (laughs) That was wild fucking time. Different colored tapes. Although I give Ray Kwan some credit for that. He came out with the purple tape. I love that shit. I think I still got my purple tape somewhere. No shit. Yeah. Love that shit. Artists were doing different color records every now and then, too. But then records just... Yeah, different wax. Yeah. Different wax colors. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. A few of them. A few of the singles and stuff. Yeah. No. no. Still doing... the, The weekly... You want to do this the weekly hip hop? Yeah. Hold on. Let me get, Why not? Let me get my See what up. happens in November. Big uh, big ups to uh, today in hip hop history.com. Not affiliated. But we give them a little shout out. Post some good stories out there every now and then. All right. What do we got here? Uh, uh, Raheem Brown better knows Tame One. Do we know Tame One? I don't even know Tame One. I don't. Okay. Then I'm going to skip it. He died. I'm sorry. Rest in peace. He was a, a New Jersey guy. Oh, interesting. Oh, Tame One? Wait, was he with uh, Newark? Wait, Newark, New Jersey? Yeah, so Newark, was he New in Jersey, fucking, Artifacts? Uh... Nah, I wasn't thinking Artifacts. Who's the, the, the Outsiders? Do you remember the Outsiders? He might have been Outsiders. Tame One? No, that's Pace One. Pace One was with the Outsiders. I'm confusing things here. Well, uh, big up, respect. I'll do some, some uh, big ones. I helped pave the way for half the NJ to spray. I rip parts in half with arts and crafts. I'm still willing to bomb if your markers last. Decorating whole blocks in the name of hip hop. Just to have something to look at when the music stops. I pay homage to the bombers, artists to the hardest. Writing never writing with misdemeanors to charges. Contents under pressure, styles only get pressure. We do big things with big letters. Forgetting about the tame one, shame on y'all. Ghetto celebrity. Cause I write my name on walls I'm an artist to the hardest Illegally being me I've been doing this since BDP made peers free The Krylon Don Getting it on, I'm still bombing Hated by people saying vandalism's a problem Interchangeable caps Control the lines And multiple black books are filled with designs I bomb atomically like deck Spraying blocks like text Putting up crews from all of my connects FC, LTD And the GTC5 Working with the paint, we keep it live Write a rhyme in graffiti in Every show you see me in Deep concentration, cause I'm no comedian Jokers are wild, if you wanna be tame I'm out to bomb like Vietnam Cause ain't a damn thing changed Hi, my name is Tame Already Famous I'm one of them painters claiming as famous as an entertainer The wild style flashback with cans up in the backpack Living hip-hop, I'm more than just another rap act King of the gear with my P&B gear Doing pieces, no fear, going there from out of nowhere Peace disaster ash and lose Helping me pay dues in 82 Porn, Mellow Max and J. Root And rest in peace Revenge 7 from VOS 
and Mace One, your name lives on, you still fresh. J Burn J used to rock the boat days. Me and A Cool learned from Duke back in the day. A B Fresh from GMC had me gassed and killing it. All city was too nasty, nasty. No disrespect intended, but I had to show ya. If I didn't say your name, that means I did not know ya. Pay homage to the bombers, artists to the hardest. Writing never biting with misdemeanors for charges. Contents under pressure. Styles only get fresher. We do big things with big letters. Pay homage to the bombers, artists to the hardest. Writing never biting with misdemeanors for charges. Contents under pressure. Styles only get fresher. We do big things with big letters. Yo, shouts to Merge One, Stone, Unity, the whole LTD conglomerate, LSB, TCA, yeah, WD Eminent, yeah, CWK, yes. Uh, oh my it. god This one I actually did not know And this kind of upsets me And this is another sort of Redman New Jersey Reference but uh, Hurricane G She died in 2022 Fuck Last wow. year Not too long ago Yeah. You, a year ago. you ever heard of Hurricane day. G? Mm-mm. She did like a couple tracks with uh, Redman Ha ha ha! 
He was pretty good, man. Oh, man, that's that's that sucks to hear. Maybe we'll talk about her if if we do a ladies in hip hop episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, for sure. Uh, We could skip the next one. We got Tupac's fifth album, Don Caluminati, The Seven Day Theory. That was released on November 5th, 96. Machiavelli? Yeah, so that Bro. I think this was his second album under Death Row. Damn. Oh, yep, there it is. Machiavelli. Yo, this album I absorbed. There was one night where I think we were smoking Sherm or something on the fucking balcony of one of my friend's house. Because we were, it was weed, but it was lazy for sure. Because we were so fucked up. And we just played this on repeat all night long. So, yeah, this is, this is, this is a good album. It was. Um, it, read me, it led me to read the book, too, by uh, Niccolo Machiavelli. Oh, damn. Okay. All right. All called right. The Prince. I didn't get that deep, but uh, is it worth reading? Should I check it out? Yeah, I mean, he just talks about how to lead. It's a short the read, but he just talks yeah, about how to lead like a, a state and he talks about you need uh you need to have a little bit of fear in your followers and a little bit of love so he talks about playing both sides like you don't just want to be a tyrant and you don't want to be a softy you have to carry like both that's brilliant so it's more like a sun Tzu kind of book yeah exactly it's like a it, it, he was an italian philosopher interesting okay all right all right i wanted to see why tupac you know, was taking quotes from him while he was naming, calling yeah. himself Machiavelli. So, dang, decent. Okay, love and fear, dude. It makes sense. Works. Um, skipping the Jay Z ones. Q-Tip <laughs> released his second solo album, The Renaissance, November. Q-tip, the Renaissance. Yeah, November fourth, two thousand eight. God damn. So he stayed uh, with um, Tribe Called Quest before he really did a bunch of solo stuff, huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, His and solo he came career out with, was late budding. Well, he did some Tribe albums even after this, but... Yeah. Um, or at least the one, I think. But Q-Tip, again, what a voice. It's a voice you can't forget. Oh, Nelly was born November 4th, 1974. <laughs> I get that band-aid going, bro. Oh, I can't stand Nelly. The fucking band-aid. Yeah, I don't think I know much Nelly. Yeah. Uh oh, speaking of hip hop soundtracks, this is another classic one. Were you at all into the belly soundtrack? With no. Nas and DMX. That's a tight soundtrack. There's some good shit on there. I was and actually Belly itself was a great hip hop movie, I would say. I uh boycotted this because Ooh, I was what's a, the story? A, uh because of the dog pound beef. Oh, so shit. um okay. DMX uh and corrupt young Gotti uh-huh. um had major beef and uh so I did not listen to DMX or watch Belly or listen what? to this. Yeah. I mean what? Yeah, <laughs> That's bro. More like it, for sure, dude. I was loyal to my West Coast guys, dude. On their beef, 
That's crazy, man. That's crazy. Cause uh I think his first two albums had some fucking bangers on them. Have you ever gone back and, and revisited or no, or is that gonna be a not the whole album I gotta give you? I've just heard uh all of his, you know, like his major hits, obviously. But yeah, I never dug deep on DMX, dude. I was like, yeah, fuck DMX. Wow. I mean I never dug too deep, but there is some fucking bangers in, in uh those first couple albums. At least the first two. It's dark it's dark and hell is hot and then whatever the second album is called. Yeah. I think it was and, just because the late nineties, you know, it was kind of about the coastal wars. So I was like, you know, I'm sticking with Death Row and the Dog Pound. Oh man, next week it might get you know tension what I mean? here, bro. Because I was straight up, I was, I was definitely a Biggie over Tupac guy, and um, I don't know. I've, I've definitely had allegiance. Like I would have, I would have uh, listened to Mob Deep back then, and and um, been upset that Tupac was dissing him and stuff like that, and <laughs> some of the other beef. But I don't know. It all kind of faded quick then and i started listening it did yeah it, but. and then i started listening to everything yeah exactly, exactly. yeah um so you've never seen that movie either that, that might nah. be more too belly is pretty pretty tight because there's a lot of aspects in belly that sound like like and i'm sure it was it, it worked itself this way but there's a lot of elements in the movie that are almost taken straight from like Nas's lyrics off of like uh illmatic and it was written like just some of the story shit he goes into the wild, you know, like when he's getting all mafioso and has these elaborate stories and shit. They kind of incorporate some of that shit in Belly, and it's kind of cool to see it played out. Okay, it's cool. Um, Rock him came out with his solo album in 1997 after a little hiatus where he wasn't even on the scene. I remember when this shit dropped and everyone was getting hyped. There were some good songs on this joint too. Uh, I wouldn't say the whole album is classic by any means but it was nice having Rock him back on the scene there for a little bit. And uh, Jesus, 97, that's crazy. Ooh, is it Sticky Fingers? Sticky Fingers birthday, November 3rd, 1973. Good lyrics. And then speaking of Mob Deep as well. Mob Deep, I was just going to say. November 2nd. (laughs) Man. Prodigy Mob Deep was born. Mm -mm -mm. R.I.P. again. Man, what to do R.I.P. episode. There's a lot of great names passed us too soon. Speaking Lil of Wayne, uh, yeah, speaking of cash money are, type shit, Lil Wayne. Are you a Lil Wayne fan? No, I mean I've never. No. I, I what from what I've heard, I do not mind, but I've never dug. I've never dug into any Lil Wayne. Like I've heard like the Eminem features and a couple of his own songs, yeah, uh, solo songs and everything. But no, I really don't know much about Lil Wayne. Are I you on I'm the like Lil Wayne train? No, I'm the same as you. Like, uh, oh, okay. I like Lil Wayne, but I've never dug too deep. Yeah. Um, I've kind of always respected him because he's always right. been there. You know what I mean? He's always yeah. done his thing, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and and, he's, maybe and I need he to, to get more. praise. He gets praised by people who I respect, so I'm not like I can't Eminem at all. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes um, when I see Eminem, he's like, why didn't I think of that line? I'm like, damn, dude. Like, okay, maybe I need to listen a little bit more to Lil Wayne. And, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think I, I that might maybe we'll have to do a little Wayne episode, and we just both yeah. 
dive and in about and, him. Uh, yeah, learn about him, talk about him, and uh, you know, dig into his shit. But yeah, so his debut album, "The Block Is Hot," came out November second, nineteen ninety nine. He looks so young on that album cover. I know, right? And it's hard to believe his no album tattoos. Came <laughs> He's got like four tattoos. I can see. Yeah, I see the little. Yep, yep. Damn, he does look crazy on there. But look, look at all the shit happening on these album covers. I'm telling you, that's how they were. <laughs> they were all on the police late, cars are all on nine. fire, dude. I mean, there's fire. There's police cars. There's crazy. Yeah. There's like 20 different fonts on the on the title alone. His his name's made out of diamonds. It's, it's diamonds bling. It's shining all over. Helicopters, purple smoke. So funny. American the flag uh, is underwear. Hot. Respect that. Yeah. What's his underwear? Say? What does it say? Lost boy. That's what I thought I said. Lost Boy Willis or something. I don't know what the fuck that says. <laughs> no, probably Hot Boy, I think, maybe. Hot Hot Boy Well, I don't know. Might say Lost Boy. It, for all it, intent purposes, it's got to be it Lost, Lost Boys. Boys. It's on, yeah, it's yep. Lost Boys on yep. his underwear. Representing We're going Lost with Boys. That. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Um... Ooh, my boy, Slick Rick, uh, Great Adventures of Slick Rick, which I talked about in the previous episode, that came out November 1st, 1988. Classic, that's probably a top five, I'm thinking. Gotta be a top yeah. five. Yeah, oh, for sure. The Adventures of Slick Rick. Great album, great album. And again, the voice. He has an amazing voice. Great storytelling. Great presence. Good stage presence. Um, alright, next. Black Milk and Danny Brown. Do you know anything about them guys? Uh, I, uh, I like Black Milk as a, I think he's just a producer, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, okay. I don't know, I don't know. I, don't know. I think, I think he did some stuff with, uh, I want to say he did some stuff with Sean P. Hmm. I gotta check this out, because I'm a big Sean P guy. I might just not have dug deep in the sea. Um, black. Sounds maybe a little bit familiar. Uh, black milk featuring Pharaoh Monch and Sean Price, The Matrix. Something. Oh, black milk talks supergroup random acts. Now that, that sounds a little more familiar. Okay, so that yeah, was random yeah. Acts. Black milk, Guilty Simpson, and Sean Price. You know, I never really I got love Guilty Simpson, bro. I don't know much. I don't know Guilty Simpson. Okay, I might have heard some of these songs. He's got a I had this, voice. I had this huge comp, this Sean P compilation, which features like it's like fucking four album, five, six albums long or something. It just features nothing but every track I think Sean P ever did. And I've I've listened to that at times. Um, yeah, uh, I w- I would recommend Black Milk Beats. I know he makes fucking sick beats, dude. I'm digging in. That's my homework. All right. Black Milk. Just don't drink it. Wouldn't be safe. Okay. Oh, this is a top five, bro. Brand Nubian. Everything is everything released November 1st, 1994. That is classic. And I would say that's... I don't know if Brand Nubian was really considered native tongues. I guess sort of. Brand Nubian was kind of native tongues. It was. But, uh, yeah, that's a great album. I remember stealing that album 
uh, out of my brother's collection uh, there. Listen to that back in the day too. Again, it was a lot of positive, very black ex- black centric. Good shit. Yeah, you know what? I don't know if they were, because would black sheep be considered native tongues too? I don't know. I'll have to see really what all the uh, branches of native tongues would be. Yeah, black sheep. Um, so I think Brandon uh, black sheep. Chi Ali, uh, Queen Latifah, Moni Love. Okay, okay. Oh, and speaking of brand Nubian, though, and voices. It's a dot X. That voice, bro. Come on. The dot X, yeah, brand Nubian. You know what makes me the sad? Dot though? X's voice is crazy. This kind of, I don't know if it's sad. I don't know if I should feel sad about it. But sometimes, like, these, these hip-hop guys who had their fame, these 90s guys, like, that are still doing their thing. I see Sadat X all the time post on Twitter, like, about... He's on uh, social, like, crazy, dude. He is. But he always yeah. posts this joint on there saying, yeah, for bookings, just uh, hit me up. Like, I wonder what his price list is at this point. Or if he's getting, you know, features and shit like that or what. But for him to just be throwing out there, like, hey, just book me for, uh, you know, for a feature or for, you know, a concert or something. I don't know why, but it makes me kind of sad. Yeah. Should I feel sad? I don't know. I mean. Cool Keith does think... that, though, a lot, too. And that's my boy, Cool Keith. They all have their day, I guess, you know. On Twitter, too. Yeah. You have your, your, your 15 minutes and then, I don't know. But great fucking guy. Yeah, I might for start sure. GoFundMe. Maybe I can get Sadat on a track. Me and Sadat. <laughs> Me and Sadat and Cool Keith. Super group. Yo, hit him up, bro. What are you doing? They're giving you the info. I know, right? <laughs> it's a sign. Yeah. Uh, I'll give him a couple years when his prices go down a little bit. All right. I'll Not get the, uh, the 2000. Yeah, exactly. 2027 Sadat X. I could probably, you know, knock at least 50 bucks off by that point. That's all I got, man. Yeah. Early, early, uh, uh, like a big packed first half of the 90s, dude. It was fucking all kinds of too shit much. going on. To be yeah. honest, it was just too much. Latin rap, Dirty South. They had the formations of the big uh, Coastal War, um, you know, It was labels. starting. It was yeah. brewing. Death Row starting. A lot of Bad solo Boy careers starting. launched. Solo careers, groups coming together, Wu Tangs, Wu Tang out there, fucking uh, yeah, groups Nas. breaking up, fucking uh, uh, MC Hammer, yeah, Hella Ice, uh, doing what Hella Hella Ice getting robbed, <laughs> getting taken, getting hung getting, over a balcony, yeah, got the got the first number one song and got everything taken away from him for it. Who the extreme? Hold the mic like a band. Something, something, something whacks you like a candle. It's crazy. Let me throw another little funny thing out there, though. Because uh, I forgot to mention this, but I think it was 92 where Crisscross came out with their famous song called Jump. Was it Jump? I'm thinking Everybody knows that song. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> I'll never I forget this. what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget this because I was I felt cringe for this guy back in the day, and I still think of it sometimes. I kind of know this guy. I see I see him around, but one one of my friends back then, I'll just call him Adam for the intents of the story, and this other guy Matt 
for intent, you know, just just throwing, you know. But it, it was it was like sixth grade, I think it was sixth grade, but yeah, sixth grade music class where they could do, where you were allowed to do like a performance or something. And this dude got his friend Matt, who I made up names, obviously. And um, they did, with their pants backwards and everything, they did jump in front of the class. And the talent show? The, it was like a talent show, yeah, yeah sort yeah. of thing. But it was just like our class. It wasn't even like the whole score or anything. So it was just, I don't know. I, I don't know. But I, I even remember at the time, like, just cringing. I was giving them the gas face at the time. Like, what the fuck? These guys <laughs> the doing gas face. <laughs> Where they were performing crisscrosses jump. And it was just so, uh, like, I just felt embarrassed for them. I don't know. It was just horrible. It was just horrible. I'll never forget it. Big up, uh, maybe Adam. <laughs> oh my That's god! That's so funny, dude. I did Gangsters Paradise in '95. No, at the you did not. Show. Oh I no, I, god, feel, I feel cringe for you. Cringe? No, I'm <laughs> dude, just kidding. I, did no, you rock you it though? You got a yeah, tape I, of this? I, you got yeah, a recording of this? No, I don't. That oh we my can god, put on the show, please. You have bro. to have it. You have to have it. What was I in? I was like I was in fourth grade. I'll release my I'll release my uh my one of my earliest songs where I say the N-word a bunch. If you release your <laughs> you you performing Gangsta's Paradise, bro, th- th- that sounds awesome. <laughs> There's no way I have video footage of that, dude. It only lives All in right. my mind, I think now. Right. <laughs> That's fucking awesome though. Nah, you gotta have balls to do that though. Because although yeah. I like to, to make the whole fun school, of, dude. Then that's even that's even crazier, dude. All right, you definitely got some balls, man. I'll give you props <laughs> and a half. <laughs> oh man, Dangerous Minds had an influence on me, dude. I was like, I fucking love that song. <laughs> See, I probably would have went up there and did Amish Paradise. That would have been my funny take on it—the tongue-in-cheek way to do it. That's so funny. But no, that, that was that was that was a good track, man. Dangerous Minds is a good movie. Show fight for bro. Mm-hmm. Nice of Michelle Pfeiffer. You know what I'm saying? Take that shit back to the yeah, I wanted her as a teacher days. for sure, dude. Fuck yeah, dude. I still hit it. What's she look like now? I gotta look that up now. Michelle Pfeiffer now. I'm betting she probably got a lot of work done, right? She was in something recently, right? Wasn't she in something? What's she in? She's in something. I haven't kept up with us. Oh, she don't look bad Bro, for her age, she's dude. She's fucking fire. She doesn't look all fucking cut up either. No, she doesn't look like she got much work done in some of these photos. She might have, but she's looking decent enough. Oh, shit. Yeah, I'd still let her teach me. Yo, fuck yeah. Teach me uh, health class. <laughs> Sex head, baby. Come on. The fuck? What are we doing? Yeah, no, she's looking good. Uh, oh my god, yeah. What? The, how am I fucking? I'm I'm an idiot. I forgot she's in the fucking Ant Man movies. Duh. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she's, that's she's, right. That's what she's been in recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, she does. She does look good. She, she had to get right. saved from the quantum verse. She got out of the quantum verse, and then uh, she went back in the quantum verse. I think. And uh, she apparently had sex with uh, what's his name. But it gets lonely in the quantum verse, bro. 
Did you see the newest Ant Man movie? I hope I didn't spoil anything. The newest uh Quantumanium? No. Ant Man? No, I didn't see it. Oh okay. It's all good though. It was minor spoilers. Doesn't matter. Oh fuck. Alright. I don't know. You got anything else then? I think we've been rambling. Yeah, we kind of have been rambling, dude. But I think that's what comes with the research, you know? We're learning. Oh, Oh, for sure. I'm learning so much about the timeline. I never thought about the timeline as a fan back in the day. You You don't. No, you just kind of live through it. I just kind of bought albums and listened to shit that my cousins gave to me or my friends gave to me. So it's kind of dope to see it all put in order. Yeah, because a lot of this stuff I, I listen to later, not uh, on the timeline either. Exactly. So, like, one of the things that kind of shocked me was that Red Man came out in 92. Because in my mind, that was, like, after Wu-Tang. But right. breaking this shit down and seeing that uh, it was actually Red Man came out before Wu-Tang kind of... I mean, maybe I knew it at some point. When I was deeper into it, but you kind of forget these things. But I was like, holy shit, there's no fucking way. Because Redman, you know, that first album does have that, like, Wu-Tang kind of, not vibe necessarily, but you could see the underpinnings there of, like, that uh, New York sort of yeah. style that was to come, you know. And then one of my favorites that put me on Redman was uh, Method Man Redman Blackout. Oh, my God. That was, that was like, guy. really what sent me I think. into searching into his, more of his solo stuff. So, like... Yeah, sometimes you don't get lashed onto the very first album. You're not, you're not always oh, there for number one. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. So many albums like that. Crazy. But um, all right, man. I think we will end it there. Um, freestyle outro. Uh, uh, thanks for listening. Listen again. Uh, it'll do you good and do your body good. And uh, like black milk. <laughs> that sounds dangerous, bro. <laughs> I don't I don't I can't recommend that. That's a nightmare. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> um and uh, uh yeah, hip hop, baby. We're gonna keep doing it. The rest of the nineties coming up next week. Uh that's all I got. Check us out, uh lostboysociety.org to find out more shit. Hit us up, join the Discord, all that good stuff. Um, hip hop, I love you, baby. Oh, we gotta do an album, uh, our, uh, episode about that. All the, all the, all the songs that uh, feature hip hop as it's a person, because there's quite a few that break down and um, say that hip hop is their bitch or whatever. Yeah, like using it as a analogy. Common, yeah, I think Common yeah. did that. I think uh, I think Ice Cube did that once. Yeah, uh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But that's why well, we're going to be research. researching shit. Yep. We're going to dig deep and find Digging out. Digging the crates. All we need to know and what you should know, too. Or something. I don't know what I'm saying. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Ghost T out. Peace. Later. Yeah.
I'm like the Rudy of this rap shit Hip-hop is all that I have It's been helping me to get through all the bad shit Now at last it's time to shine Ready to blind the masses It's happening just as I imagined it Gathering fans from PA down to North Carolina sands Plus all kinds of foreign lands With a plan to go as far as Mars And keep heading deeper through stars But return beneath six million feet To get cigars and as far as a bargain You hit the target If you ain't feeling how great I speak At least this mixtape is free Starving to eat beats This ain't a plea to listen to me But if you do, you're listening to history and I'm making the ace in the hole Plus a whole slab of bait and waiting on your plate And you can almost taste it Wasting my time, don't bother You're not a bit hot as the goblin that pops in the songs That rocks the spot while a lot of the mother rappers pop Like a bottle and bask in their own hollow reflection Expecting all of the drama they rapping Next I can step in Not representing my question But less than the freshman hey, You know that I'm the best then You're listening to the Stretch Armstrong Show. Nah, this is ghost. Alright, post-edit. Uh, this track, this was maybe like five, six years ago. I just was freestyling and working out some lyrics. Uh, you can hear I messed up a couple times, but since we were talking about the deep cover, I wanted to throw this in here. And bust this new freestyle that I just wrote, like, today at work. Alright, check this. Yo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ghosty, mostly beat, dope as can be, believe when I say it. I MC the greatest, I keep it in eight at least. So please take a seat. I'm working the beats and probably get served disturbing the peace. Searching for a multiverse version of me to compete with. Cause all these other rap acts is weak shit. Sitting on the fence like Heath kiss, sucking on a fishbone, bro. Yo, I don't know where this shit's going. Oh, that, <laughs> that kind of fucking ended perfect. I didn't know the beat was gonna cut off. Uh, so yeah, that was from a few years ago, that first jaunt, and that last one was from today. Alright. <laughs> Alright, uh, great episode, 90s, love jumping into the 90s, and listening back to some of this stuff was very refreshing, and a lot of nostalgia flowing through me this week, just listening to some of these tracks that I haven't heard in, uh, years and years and years. So, uh, hope you're enjoying listening. Uh, thank you for listening. If you didn't make it this far, appreciate you. And uh, we will catch you on the next one. Peace out.